0: Welcome to Jammin with Jason Mefford, a show where we discuss topics relevant to chief audit executives and professionals in audit, risk, and compliance. We discuss the technical and soft skills needed to navigate the minefields of organizations. You hear best practices and practical advice for helping you advance your career, and we'll even talk about music, mindfulness, and psychology because we can. So sit back and relax while you listen to the number one podcast in the world for internal auditors, unscripted and unedited. Well, welcome, everybody, to another episode of Jamming with Jason. Hey, today, I am very honored to have Ken Cloak on with me. Um, Ken is the director of the Center for Dispute Resolution and founding president of Mediators Beyond Borders. Now, he's a mediator, arbitrator, attorney, coach, consultant, and trainer. That's a mouthful. Um, But he really focuses on negotiation, you know, dealing with difficult people, resolving conflict. And so I'm glad to have Ken on because I know many of you deal with difficult people, difficult conversations, and sometimes get into conflict. So welcome, Ken.
1: Thank you, Jason.
0: Now, I uh, realized we were talking a little bit before, too, that we're actually just down the street from each other, too. You're in Santa Monica. I'm down in Long Beach, so we're both in the Los Angeles area. Um, But maybe, you know, give people just a a brief synopsis because you've had a tremendous career and you've been around for a while. You've written lots of books, lots of articles. Just give people a little flavor kind of for for where you're coming from because you're somebody they needed to listen to.
1: Okay, well... (laughs)
0: Not to set you up big or anything.
1: (laughs) Very good. good. Well, the the basic idea is that um, uh, we experience conflicts from cradle to grave. Um, Everybody grew up in a family in which there was conflict. They grew up in a neighborhood in which there was conflict, went to school, experienced conflicts there, have had conflicts in there. Personal lives with partners and spouses with kids with in the and especially in the workplace um, So that's fact number one fact number two is nobody Has been trained in how to handle it uh, or almost nobody so uh, Very few people between kindergarten and 12th grade took a class that was dedicated to conflict resolution So what do we do when we face conflict? And I think the answer is we revert back either to genetic programming mm-hmm. and the neurophysiology uh, of the brain, which fundamentally is the fight, flight, or freeze reflex, yep. um, or we revert back to our families of origin and what we learned from our parents and how they handled conflict, which wasn't very good necessarily either. So. Um, And the third thing that we go to is whatever the organizational culture tells us we ought to do when we're facing conflict. But the problem with organizational culture is that it uh, has a fundamentally limited scope in terms of how we understand conflicts and what we do about them. So the essence of what I have been doing for the last 40 years is trying to figure out what do we do that can actually be more successful than what we're doing from either uh, from any of those sources. Yeah.
0: Well, and I think it, it's good, it's, it's actually, because as you were talking, because uh, I've been studying psychology <laughs> you know, on the side for like 20, 25 years and uh you know it's it's funny that you say like that you know when we normally end up in conflict we tend to go back to one of those kind of things right and we don't we won't go down the whole ego state rabbit hole and you know some of the stuff on this because we want to give people some practical things but you know uh, you know hopefully everybody that's listening you can think about that because conflict we usually see as a bad word right it's something like i don't want to i don't want to have to deal with conflict and and, it, and it's funny because like, as you said, right, that, that um, you know, fight, flight, or freeze, we tend to kind of go back into that. And I know for myself personally, I don't really like conflict. And most of the time, I tend to kind of freeze and lock up, mm-hmm. right? And I'm trying to work through that. I mean, again, like you said, some of that's, you know, familial issues and other stuff from before. So, you know, today, maybe we can help people just kind of help start taking some of those first steps, understanding, you know, when they get in some of these situations, some ways to think about it a little bit differently. So we don't just revert back mm-hmm. to what we've done in the past. Because I know for me, if I just revert back to what I've done, it doesn't always turn out the best for me, <laughs> right? Um, so yeah so let's um i think it's 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 interesting you know i i i kind of read through some of your one of your books uh resolving conflict at work where you kind of go through 10 strategies and you I and you kind of touched a little bit on it as you were as you were starting too but in the book you talk about how really conflict is two-sided yeah as well right so I, i want to bring this topic up because especially you know a lot of people listening were we're in those roles where we're always looking for the bad thing or the negative side of everything. And so when a word like conflict gets thrown out there, I think most people's first reaction is, Oh, this is like a threat, right? It's a bad thing, Mm -hmm. but conflict can also be that opportunity as well. Right. Can you maybe talk to that just a little bit? Cause I I think, you know, again, we want to try to reframe some of how people think about conflict. Cause like you said, we deal with it every day.
1: Yeah. So conflict is really two things. Uh, The first thing that it is, is it is um, the uh, we can think of it in several different ways. First of all, we can think of it as um, any place where there are two or more truths in which each of those truths thinks that it's the only one. Mm -hmm. So the first piece is that there is two or more. Uh, But the second piece, Uh, piece is how we handle the presence of two or more truths, how we feel about it. Conflict is disruptive of old paradigms, of old ways of doing things. It is, if I can define it slightly differently, it's the sound made by the cracks in a system, Mm -hmm. Uh, an organizational system, a social system, a family system um uh and so we are uncomfortable with the change, with change and conflict is simply the sound of something that is telling us Um, whatever it is that we've been doing before um, uh, the ground is disappearing from underneath that thing and it's beginning to change into something else so if we have two truths and we assume that only one of them is the only truth Um, It's going to be uncomfortable for us. But if on the other hand, we assume that there is some New insight that we could gain from the combination of these truths um, If we could think about what the conflict is trying to tell us that we could learn from uh, If it is pointing us in the direction of a set of skills that are a little bit beyond the ones that we have had up till now Uh, if it is uh, showing us um, uh, areas where we could improve, then we're going to start to think about it in a very different way. So a different word that we can apply to conflict is generative conflict. Mm. That is a conflict that generates some brand new way of doing things. Because if we think about it, conflict is simply something that isn't working for somebody.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think it's it's interesting how you say that because as you were talking, you know, lots of companies talk about wanting to be innovative. But to truly be innovative, there has to be some differences of opinion or some conflict, yeah. right? Yeah. And so I think I think that's where, you know, again to try to help reframe people conflict is not always bad conflict can be a generative process like you talked about that gets us to a a better solution right yeah so like you said these these two two or more truths so right you could have two people that have two different opinions about something both of them can be partially right can be right but there could also be a third or fourth or fifth option as well maybe that these two people hadn't
1: considered to begin with, right? Exactly. So, for example, uh, even in mathematics, where there may be a single truth, like um, what is uh, four plus five? uh, The answer clearly is going to be nine. Uh, But if, on the other hand, we ask a question like, what is the square root of 16? Mm -hmm. We will get not only um, one answer, but two. In other words, um, uh, there is four and there is minus four. Oh, right. There you go. Um, Uh And that's for X squared. For X cubed, there are three correct answers. Uh For X quartic, quartic, there are four correct answers, potentially. So here's the point of this is. The more complex things become, the more correct answers there are likely to be. And if we take, as an, as an illustration, inside any corporate organization, there's a lot of focus on change, on, uh, as you said, innovation. Mm-hmm. Now, what are the truths with innovation? Well, the first truth is that there is something perhaps positive that is being introduced. And a second truth might be there is something positive that is being lost that opportunity loss side of it. Yeah, so maybe the, there's something valuable in the old way of doing things and there's something valuable in the new way of doing things. So we, if, if we approach the change process by just focusing on what's valuable in the new way of doing things, we will lose the value in the old way of doing things. So um, a uh, more nuanced and successful way of approaching change is to try to recapture what was good about the way that we've been doing it in the past and what wasn't good and what could the new way of doing things add to that so we can say that change is mandatory improvement is optional
0: (laughs) i like that change is mandatory right improvement is optional yeah because there's always going to be change right there's that whole saying the only The only constant in life is change, right? Because it does. I mean, everything, everything evolves and moves around us, but I I think it's interesting, you know, like what you said too, that most of the time when conflict comes up and, you know, again, we're kind of talking from a corporate environment and maybe some of the kinds of things that, you know, the listeners might, might find themselves in conflict with, right. You know, an auditor goes out, they do, they do an audit, they come back with a recommendation and sometimes those recommendations may be very proscriptive like you must do this right well obviously the person who's receiving that is probably thinking in their mind i don't necessarily need to do it that way right so there's our two truths that that start to kind of come into this right because both parties are coming at it thinking that you know, again, this is how I think it needs to be done. So so when you when you start getting into something like that, so there's kind of a conflict scenario, if you will. How what are some things I guess that we can do to try to flesh that out more and and not have that that conflict come mm-hmm. up? You know, the one I think that we just kind of talked about was realize there's more than one right way i think right so so yep. if 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 we're you know providing some solution and think this is the only way you can do it we're going to have trouble
1: <laughs> yes so for example um now we can think about not just the corporate environment we can think about uh, marriages partnerships relationships families um uh, relationships with coworkers, neighbors, uh, any number of those things. So if you present the problem as, um, you guys have been screwing up, so we're going to bring in a group of auditors to come in and tell you how badly you've done things, and to tell you how you ought to be doing them in the future. What's the attitude going to be if we translate that into a, a, a marriage or a, a family? And the answer is everybody's <laughs> going to get upset about it. Oh Watch, yeah. Of course they are because of how it's been set up. But if, on the other hand, we can present it as here's a way in which you guys could be way more successful than you've been up until now. We're going to multiply the, um, your success rate and give you a set of brand new skills and um, really support you. And getting to uh, excellence um, and a place where you feel so good about what you 're doing um, and where you are so acknowledged for the positive contribution that you are making to improvement in the organization it 's just going to be unbelievable well that 's a whole different approach. How do we get there so there are mm-hmm. a set of practical skills that can help us get there, but in the first place the whole culture around auditing inside the organizations that I've worked in, a lot of Fortune 100 companies and Fortune 50 companies, et cetera, um, and smaller mom and pop places, plus families and relationships. Um, A lot of the uh, the attitude uh, needs to get shifted. And that's a part of shifting the organizational culture. But there are some things that the auditors themselves can do, or anyone can do. In the first place, um, to focus on the future rather than the past. Mm -hmm. Because we can argue forever about who did what in the past, and the only purpose of that is to fix blame. And nobody wants to be blamed. And truthfully, it isn't a matter of blame. It's a matter of trying to, be, to pinpoint with accuracy what it was that wasn't working. And this is actually a major contribution that auditors can make to, to organizational success. Yeah. Uh, a second tool uh, is to focus on the problem as an it, rather than as a you. <laughs>
0: because
1: if the problem is a you, what you're going to get and virtually, and this is, we're talking now about what works in marriages and families, um, uh, as well as what works in the workplace. If you approach your partner and say uh, you did this, or you are a terrible person, you're going to get two responses. One is defensiveness and the other is counterattack every time. Right? So that's fight or flight and we know that we've triggered something and it wasn't our intention to trigger it that's just a question of skill and being able to figure out how do we present this so that the person doesn't feel like they're the problem but instead we together we focus on the problem as you know out there uh, it's a third thing how do we do that well if we take as an example a common you know sort of accusation let's say you are lazy. Okay, so we've got the word Sometimes I am. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing personal here. Yeah. Um, so the first thing we've got the pronoun you. Right. What if we shift the pronoun to an it? How do we do that? We say there's a lot of work to be done. How should it be divided? Functionally, that's the equivalent of you are lazy, but a much more successful way of doing it. The second is the word are, you are. Well, that's a judgment as opposed to you did, or it is, or um, uh, here's the way it, it, uh, we would like it to be. Um, and the third thing is the word lazy, which is the insult. Um, and what we can now look at is how we could ref, we, this is a tool that we use in conflict resolutions called reframing. Mm -hmm. And reframing means looking at it slightly differently, describing it in different terms. So one of the ways that we can describe it differently uh, is um, by identifying what we call interests. So a position is what you want. An interest is the reason why you want it. And so um, positions are... um, you made a mistake here, no, I didn't, yes, you did, no, I didn't, yes, you did, you know, and, you know, That just uh, keeps
0: going on and on and on.
1: Yeah, it'll never stop, and who cares? Right. Um, it's not going to change anything. On the other hand, um, uh, looking at it as, for example, now, um, uh, how do we make this person more successful? How do we assume that their goal is, to look good inside the organizational culture, um, to become, to get promoted or advanced within the organizational, you know, sort of uh, system, um, uh, or in any event to just feel good about themselves and how they do. Well, this is absolutely doable, but what we have to do is we have to find out um, what their interests are in advance. So for auditors in particular, trying to find out what it is that what are your goals here um what do you want to know uh, about what's working and what isn't working creating a collaborative auditing process mm-hmm. for people buy in in advance to uh, and help design the questions that will be asked um who uh help actually gather the information so that they have an investment. It doesn't come from the outside. It's something we're doing together. Auditing is actually not just the auditor's responsibility. It's something everybody needs to know about from the beginning. Like, you know, if you're auditing afterwards, um, uh, one of the things that you're going to be picking up is what should have been done at the beginning. That's a kind of feedback loop. And that's a collaborative process of design, how to design processes that actually work more effectively inside organizations. Financial processes, uh, uh, you know, all kinds of different processes within the organization. So those are a couple of things that can be done.
0: <laughs> and those are really good things actually too, because I'm I, like, my mind is just going, at this point, right? Because it's it, it it's nice actually that you kind of um, hit on some of these topics because I've been I've been trying to tell my profession <laughs> that there's some things we need to change, right? And and I think you know as you started going through talking about um, you know w- one of the things you were doing is what I call future pacing, mm. right? Where you're actually taking people forward into the future. Nice having them, you know, kind of think about what the future would look like and focus more on the future and those future results instead of those past mistakes as well. Right. Because, because again, usually as people that are in audit or some sort of an assurance function, they're always, like you said, they're harping on, you know, you made a mistake in the past, you made a mistake in the past. Well, nobody really wants to hear that. Right. And, and that, that attitude it's kind of a negative attitude and it's going that by itself is going to lead to some of the conflict but we can change this around
1: Mm -hmm. you
0: know that that you are lazy is a great example that's it sounds harsh like you said but but to people that we're working with in a corporate environment giving somebody a recommendation probably feels like an insult like telling somebody you are lazy (laughs) right? And so take out the word you, (laughs) because we can try to, you know, come up with with something else um, and and try to reframe it. So maybe if you can talk a little bit more about reframing, because I think that's an important part of kind of changing the communication, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we can think of this on a lot of different levels. Um, Let me just give a a simple uh, example um, maybe a family example of, of how we can think about doing this. Uh, I don't know if you, uh, I know that you, we were talking before, you have a son, you mm-hmm. know, and uh, so um, a lot of people have teenagers, probably everybody in your call can, re- can remember being a teenager. <laughs> um, and teenagers have conflicts with their parents. So if we take an example of that conflict and we say curfew as an example, well, what is, what's the conversation over curfew? And the answer is going to be, number one, um, uh, yelling and screaming, um, uh, 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 accusations, insults, none of that's going to do anything for anybody except drive people further apart. Uh, the second is, if we go back to the word lazy for a second, we can see, and then we'll go, we'll come back to curfew. If we go back to the word lazy, we can see that there are three ways of saying it fundamentally. One is as an accusation, you are lazy. Two is as a confession, hmm. which is, I'm working really hard here, and I see that you're not helping, and that makes me feel like you don't respect me or the work that I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And when I see you taking time off, I would like to take time off too. So I'm jealous. And I could do that. I'm also my feelings are hurt because it's just me. Um, but the third form, so there's accusation, there's confession, and beneath those there is a request. Mm -hmm. Every accusation can be seen as a request. The request in You Are Lazy is Can you give me a hand? Mm -hmm. That's all You Are Lazy means. It means Can you give me a hand? Plus, I'm having a strong emotional reaction to this and I'm a little ticked off about the way that you've been (laughs) behaving. So I'm going to turn Can You Give Me a Hand here into an accusation. So you will understand that I'm getting emotionally plugged in here i'm getting angry uh and frustrated about this and that's what you are lazy actually is it's the combination of the request or the confession with um the desire uh somehow to communicate how we're feeling so now back to the um curfew Uh, In the curfew example, you've got the teenager and the parent yelling at each other. That's going nowhere. So what happens? Mom or dad steps in and says, you're gonna be home by 10 o'clock or else. Um, And that's the typical management approach to solving the problem. Management gives a direction. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is know what the boss wants and you're, you're done. But that's going to work for a while, but it's not going to work with a (laughs) 16-year-old. And it doesn't work in the workplace with any employee who's got any intelligence or, you know, uh, desire to have a voice in how they work or anything else. It's just, it's not a successful strategy, except it stops the conflict. So Well,
0: that's probably why people will, that's probably one reason why we tend to go back to those things, right? Because it's easier to just say, I'm the boss, do it. Or I'm the parent, you must be home at 10 o'clock. Instead of actually dealing with the underlying conflict, it's harder to do that. It takes more work.
1: So the second step, and the the, the next step after this one, I guess is the third step now, is the teenager says, uh, I want to be home by 2 a.m., and now you've got a negotiation. And, mm-hmm. But that's a step forward from you're going to be home by 10 o'clock or else. Now it's a conversation. It's a relationship. Uh, it's much more complicated. Uh, but it is more complicated. And, that, and so the process, the conversation, matches how complicated the problem is. And now we can get even more complicated. And we could say, why do you want me home at 10 p.m.? Mm -hmm. And why do you want to be home at 2 a.m.? That's interests. And that's the reframe, is when we go to the why question. And now what the parent is going to say when you ask why 10 p.m., they're going to say safety. Mm -hmm. And say why 2 a.m., the teenager is going to say fun, being with my friends, (laughs) right? Right. Well, it was,
0: yeah, and that's and that's one of those though where now at least since you've asked some of those questions, now you have kind of the, these these barriers, if you were, or the boundaries, I guess, right? So so now you can start to actually negotiate, work through that conflict by discussing and saying, okay, well, on school nights, maybe ten o'clock is a better thing. So let's say, hey, on on school nights, be home by by this. Maybe if there's certain times, a Friday, Saturday, or if there's something, uh, you know, in particular that you want to do, then we'll just, we'll say, okay, 2 a.m. is fine for these nights, right?
1: Yeah, so I think that's exactly right. But notice what's happened. Notice the difference between yelling and screaming. Mm -hmm. You're saying 10 p.m. or else. Um, the, you know, just sort of the, the straight negotiation without any understanding of interest between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m., and now the conversation that you're describing, which is, okay, how about if we look for a solution that satisfies your interests and my interests, that's a higher level of relationship, uh, a higher level of skill, um, a, and it permits a higher level of problem solving because you're able to come up with a more complex set of solutions to the problems. So if we go back to, two, uh, to 10 p.m. or else, that's just not a very successful way of solving a problem. And auditing people are in, involved in trying to find more successful ways of solving problems. That's really what I, how I understand your mm-hmm. profession. Um, so we can keep on getting better and better at doing that.
0: Well, and I think it's interesting because, you know, as you said, like when we talked about, <clears throat> cause here's, I mean, here's two, two real world kind of experiences, right? That people can, can learn from and now go back in their, in their day, you know, their, well, in their whole life, but their day job and their personal life and start to think about, cause as you were talking about, you know, lazy that word being either an accusation, a confession, or a request, right? And sometimes a combination of those, Mm -hmm. the thought that kind of popped in my mind that I just want to, you know, kind of double check with you. There's probably no need for the accusation to begin with. Right. I mean, if we could, so there's, there's one kind of practical tip is if we can just remove the accusation out of it completely. Right yeah um, you know, because like that, let's say the teenager maybe you've you've already agreed to or set the curfew at ten o'clock. and if 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 you know the teenager walks in at eleven o'clock or two am, then again, because of the emotion the parents' feeling, they're scared, they're wondering, What's going on? They're worried about their safety, thinking, "Oh, they're dead in some ditch somewhere, right?" Yeah. So they're they've got all these pent up emotions that are going on. So when the kid walks through the door, they wow. probably do start yelling at him and you know doing stuff, right? I say him because you know girls would never do this, right? <laughs> it's <laughs> those guys. But um, you know if if we if we kind of remove that and then start to ask some of the better better questions right and I, and I think too in, in asking because one of the one of the things I like to say is I'm curious why you would say that or I'm curious <laughs> of whatever right yep. that that's kind of a, a simple way to start that discussion right so again right? parents say 10 o'clock teenager says two o'clock well I'm curious why you think two o'clock would be appropriate. That's going to start to get down into these interests, right? Exactly right. In, instead of the necessary positions on where you're at. Okay, well, maybe there is a good reason why, right? And so kind of back to our auditing thing, you know, it, it almost becomes that same kind of a juggle back and forth. You know, we we found blah, 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 we, we recommend that you do this you know, 10 o'clock and the manager in the area goes, no, two (laughs) o'clock. And we're like, no, 10 o'clock, no, two o'clock. Right. And if we just continue to, to not have the conversation, because, because I found this a lot in my career, you know, sometimes when we'd make a recommendation or do something like that, when you'd actually stop and listen to the other, to the manager or the the other person you're dealing with, they usually had a really good reason. Mm Mm-hmm you know and it's like we can at least find a middle ground if not hey you know what maybe our you know tunnel vision in this area is not the right one to have remember two or more truths (laughs) that we both think are correct but but both may be correct or both may be wrong right until we start having the discussion more
1: yeah if we think about um uh uh, the problems that are faced in most organizations are complex and if you create if you have a complex problem and organizations themselves are complex just like relationships or in families are complex so if you think about what will happen predictably if you have a complex problem and you try to address it using a simplistic method mm-hmm. what you what can you predict the outcome will be And the answer is people are gonna get upset because some aspect of the problem hasn't been considered. Yeah. And your solution will not be as successful. And so that's one piece of it. A second piece of it is a part of the complexity is the emotional response that people have to the way that the problem is addressed, what the problem means to them at an emotional level. And auditors, in my experience, have not been trained well in handling emotionally intense conversations. But Gee, that's it, why I'm, I've
0: been talking about emotional intelligence, too, right? Because that, that has to be brought into it, because it's, yeah. it's hard to have these conversations and communicate that way if you're not yeah. thinking about it or realizing that 90% of what we do is emotion-based.
1: Yeah, I, I, dealt, I worked uh, for a while with a, an auditing group inside a major Fortune 100 entertainment company and uh, worked with the auditors for probably a couple of years. And one of the things that uh, I noticed that happened was uh, because of the way that they were perceived by everybody else inside the organization, it gave rise to a kind of defensiveness Mm-hmm. so that the auditors came into the conversation already feeling defensive about what they did and feeling prickly and anticipating um, negativity. Um, and therefore, you know, everybody else would sort of perceive them as coming in, you know, um, uh, emo- as kind of emotionally closed off. mm mm-hmm. Not particularly available for conversation now this doesn't mean that you adopt a you know sort of emotional attitude towards mathematics right because,
0: you know, <laughs> I'm really sad that four plus four is a right <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: so that's not going to help you solve that problem and a lot of auditing it consists of logical sequential rational you know, analytical types of functions and auditors, in my experience, tend to be really good at that form of of thinking. We've got two hemispheres of the brain. And that's a lot of real estate to devote to emotion if it isn't particularly useful. But it turns out that it really is useful because we live in societies. And a lot of what emotional intelligence is about is monitoring Our relationships with others and figuring out how to make those relationships successful. And successful means collaborative. And what that means is asking questions, as you were exactly as you were saying, trying to find out what's going on for somebody else, what their needs are, why this is important to them. So every one of your listeners can go turn to their spouse or their kid next in their next argument and just say why do you feel so strongly about this issue what does it mean to you why does it matter um tell me what's really going on for you um uh you okay know, those
0: are great questions so everybody pause rewind
1: <laughs> listen to that again write them down because yeah. those
0: are golden questions
1: yeah here's another one that's really useful that i've uh, worked with the auditors on um what is one thing that we can do in the auditing department um, that would be beneficial to you um that would strengthen our ability to support you in the work that you're doing Mm -hmm. what is one thing we could do or address now if you start with that question people are going to start to say oh you know what maybe there really is something and what turned out in the organization that i was working in with the auditors was they were actually able to make the organization much more successful by collaborating with the people that they were working with to design in advance things that would be much more successful with their customers they could actually produce reports uh, in advance that could be useful for the customer, um, and especially for the team that was, I mean, not not only in marketing and sales, but in production and a whole series of different areas. The auditors actually were able to be a kind of um, uh, source of insight in the organization into what wasn't working as well as it could. And when you present it that way, all of a sudden it becomes a completely different attitude, and relationship.
0: Well, it does. And it's, it's, it's funny, you know, because we've talked about identifying their interests a few times. And I think, you know, another word that people can substitute for interest is objectives mm. or goals, right? Mm-hmm. And so again, I've been trying to get people to think about that too. Because like you said, when you go back to that group that you're working with and try to identify their interests, identify what their objectives are, how can we help you better achieve those particular objectives why do you need to achieve those objectives you know what are the things that are that are getting in the way right that 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 maybe are 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 a pain is there is there a way that we could maybe look at that and help through that yep. right and and i know like you said you work with that team you know for a while and and it would be nice if we could go you know snap our finger and poof everything changes right but Uh, We talked a little bit about the organizational, you know, kind of system and culture and structures that if we're working in a place where we feel a little defensive as people in audit, because that's just kind of how we're perceived, it's going to take a little bit of time, you know, of, of doing this over and over again for people to actually believe us and trust us and want to ask for our help you know, as well, because you've actually got to show it, you know, words are not enough, you've actually got to show it. So, so that's the important thing, too, is I love that question, you know, what, you know, what's the one thing that we can do to help you? Well, when people give you that feedback, you better do something about it. (laughs) If (laughs) you don't, (laughs) next time you ask, you're not going to get an answer.
1: Yeah, very good. Very good. Yeah, another question might be, um, what do you see as Uh, Your mission in this part of the organization and how could auditing help you achieve that your goals your mission, etc Another piece of this what I did in the organization that I worked with um, Or what 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 they did as a result of this work that we did together was they found the areas of the organization that they were having the most difficulty with and they then embedded auditors into those areas of the organization where they worked for a month you know three months whatever it was that they decided on and uh vice versa they had people from that other part of the organization come into auditing Mm -hmm. as advisors to auditing on how they could improve their relationship and this was really magical. There was a lot of cross-fertilization that took place. Everybody learned a lot from the experience. Um, and, um, they, they formed a really close tight relationship with each other. So what they did was they created client focused teams that included auditors on every team Mm -hmm. that was focused on a, a particular client or customer. Um, the auditor was a member of that team.
0: So- well, I think, uh, yeah. I, I was just going to say, I think that's great. It actually goes back to one of the strategies that you talked about in the book, right? Mm-hmm. Listen empathetically, uh, you know, and responsively.
1: Mm-hmm. If
0: if actually doing that, where you're having these kind of short rotation side, um, so you're sitting in their chair, you understand a little bit more about what it what it takes or what it is to to do what they need to do. Mm-hmm it makes that communication so much easier the more empathetic you are which happens to you know relate to emotion too like we were talking about before right um yeah wow good stuff
1: good stuff yeah
0: holy smokes good stuff well hey i uh (laughs) i don't want to hog your time i could sit here and talk to you for hours (laughs) but i know you got other things that you gotta you gotta get done too but um Hey, I really appreciate you, you know, going through and sharing this because, you know, like I said, conflict, I think for most people kind of seems like a negative word. Yeah. And if we can change our perspective about it and realize, you know, I love that separate. How did you say that separating, uh, you know, separating it out? So it's, it's, it's an it right. Kind of a thing is is a great thing because I think so much of the time we take things personally Mm -hmm. and the more we can kind of separate that and just actually focus on the interests and what's really important, then we can, we can reduce that conflict and actually develop and strengthen those relationships, which we need to have.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the truth is, um, they don't even know us well enough to, 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 you know, sort of intentionally insult us, (laughs) become defensive about it when we don't have to. Yeah. Uh, And that triggers a cycle uh, of blame and um, uh, counterattack that is completely unnecessary. So if we can stop taking it personally and realize uh, that we lose effectiveness when we do that, um, and it isn't even really what they what they mean. Nobody's thinking about us; they're just thinking about themselves.
0: <laughs> That's one of life's lessons, right there. Right yeah. is right there. is we think everybody's you know worried and thinking about us and all this kind of stuff. They're not. <laughs> so just let it go, right? Kind of a deal. Wow. Well, Ken, thank you, thank you so much. You have any any final uh, you know parting uh, bits of wisdom? I guess to kind of wrap this up that we haven't talked about then to to make sure that you've already given a lot of questions and things people can actually go back and and put into practice, but how how would you like to wrap up?
1: I would say two things. The first is uh, I've been doing this for 40 years now uh, and I have yet to hit bottom. Um, This is really exciting stuff and there's a lot of learning that goes on. It's continuous learning. Uh, and skill improvement. And the second thing is that uh, about 100% of the people who come to see me are totally and completely stuck. And out of that 100% are totally and completely stuck, about 95 to 98% end up becoming unstuck. Well, that's pretty massive. And out of the 95 to 98% who become unstuck, about another 98% of that 98% have no problems enforcing their agreements even though i'm not the judge or the cop who stand or the manager who's standing over them why well the answer is because this really is what works at a human level and um so i just want to encourage your listeners to uh, try this stuff out if you want go to my website there are a lot of resources there Uh, It's www.kencloak.com, or just look up Conflict Resolution. um, Try to learn a little about it. If there's one book you want to read, uh, I think it's Getting to Yes by Roger Fisher and William Ah, Carey.
0: I have that on my shelf over here.
1: It's a great little book, and it's got lots of uh, fundamental, you know, sort of ideas in it, but there are hundreds of books that have been written about this topic. And I've written a few of them, so I just want to recommend that your readers, uh, listeners, really continue to, to look at this and learn from their conflicts.
0: Well, because like you said, this is one of those where it's a continuous, it's a lifelong learning kind of thing, right? I mean, no matter how long we live, we're never going to be, you know, perfect all the time. There's always going to be some conflict that comes up, always some things that we learn. But like you said, you know most of the people that actually try it and implement some of these principles like we've been talking about, they get unstuck. Yeah, <laughs> They don't have as many conflicts as everybody else does, right? So actually learning it, practicing it, you know, and, and to realize, again, it's it's a long-term process. You're not going to do it right the first time, but if you learn and you improve and get better each time, it just gets better and better and better. And having a lot less conflict in your life means a lot less stress <laughs> as well, right? So, right. yeah, it's a, it's a great thing to have. So, yeah, everybody, make sure, um, you know, Ken referred to that book, uh, uh, Getting to Yes from Fisher. That's a great book. I've read that a few times myself. Um, and check out Ken's books. You know, I, I read through a lot of the Resolving Conflict at Work. Great book. It actually gives you 10 strategies uh, to kind of think about in the workplace environment go to his website, kencloak.com, and really just try to figure out, because we want to resolve conflict, we want to reduce conflict, and if you really want to, you know, kind of take internal audit to the next level at your organization, take your career and your personal life to the next level, we've really got to get comfortable with, uh, in, in dealing with conflict instead of, you know, freezing up or running away from it.
1: Um, well said jason
0: well thank you <laughs> well Ken, thanks again and uh, hey everybody uh, have a great rest of your week and i'll catch you on the next episode of jamming with jason see ya and that's a wrap thanks for listening to today's episode of jamming with jason keep on rocking in the audit world have a great rest of your day and i'll catch you later on the next show if you'd like to earn continuing professional education for listening to today's episode, head on over to Risk Academy at ondemand.criskacademy.com, And that's C as in the letter C, riskacademy.com. Not only do you get a CPE certificate, but you also will have access to the video version of today's show. The views and opinions expressed on this show are that of the individuals and not of their respective organizations.